Good morning, gentlemen. Welcome to the Geared Up Podcast. It's a, well, it's not a Tuesday anymore. Now it's a Wednesday, but uh, it's a Wednesday today, so we've got an interview for you. Um, today's interview is super exciting. His name is Mr. J.T. McCraw, or Pastor J.T. McCraw, I guess. And uh, you are, you're going to be introduced to him in a couple of minutes. I'm not going to tell you about him right now. You can wait a few minutes and, and hear about him. He's, he's a cool dude. I greatly enjoyed our conversation with him. Um, but before we get into that interview, um, the reason I started this podcast in the first place is so that I can share my masculine journey with you. I realized I wasn't the man I wanted to be, and I realized that uh, the only way to learn how to be a man is to learn from other men. So I uh, started reading books and having conversations with the men that I know and admire and who are living out Christian manhood the way that they're supposed to, and I get to share those conversations with you. So if you're a first-time listener, I'm glad you're here. I hope you keep coming back and that our content continues to enrich you and uh, and uh, bring you closer to your Heavenly Father. If you've been listening for a long time, well, God bless you, and I hope we, uh, I hope we continue to to be a blessing in your life. Uh, if you're not connected to this podcast on social media, make sure you do that. Most active on Instagram, um, but we also have Facebook and we have a community on Facebook as well. It's called the Gird Up Community, um, but most active on, on Instagram. So make sure you're following us there, uh, keeping tabs on what we're doing and, and the cool things that, that we have going on. And then... If you feel the desire to support this podcast financially, you can do that via Patreon, or you can do that by sponsoring an episode or two. Um, you're going to notice again on this on this episode that the quality of the audio isn't spectacular. Um, it's not bad by any means, but it's not spectacular, and it's something we can improve, but not without not without money. So, uh, if the Lord lays it on your heart that you want to be a part of uh, the financial side of this ministry, go ahead and contact me or find us on Patreon. Thank you to those of you who are already doing that. Uh, finally, we have a note from my friend, Miss Laura Colander. She says, Laura Colander is currently a teacher in the Milwaukee area. She has been feeling a call on her heart to experience the world through missions since high school. This past fall, she took the leap of faith and pursued a mission called the World Race. The World Race is an 11-month journey to 11 countries to serve and live in community with people from other cultures and build lasting, foundational relationships with them. Along with teaching, she is currently raising $20,000 for this upcoming year, and that will cover food, travel, and expenses on the field. She has currently raised over $6,000 and needs to meet another deadline of $10,000 by July. If you feel called to donate and partner with her on this mission, you can do all of that at her blog at www.lauracolander.theworldrace.org. The donation is tax deductible and any bit helps $50, $75, $100, or there's an option for monthly giving as well. Thanks for hearing her story. If you'd like to talk more personally to her about missions, she'd love to connect with you either on the phone or in person. Thank you for your consideration. If you do follow her on social media, uh, you can see this week she's been going through some of their pre-training stuff before you go, uh, before they go out into the field and some cool stuff is going on over there. So if you'd like to support, support that ministry, go ahead and find Laura Colander, K-O-L-A-N-D-E. Are on social media. After a word from our sponsor here, we'll jump into our interview for the day today. Today's podcast is sponsored by the Christ for Disciples podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Steinberg, son of a Ken and father of five sons. 
Each weekday on the Christ for Disciples podcast, I apply God's word to raising the next generation. Take 10 minutes each weekday to listen to the Christ for Disciples podcast and get direction and gospel power to disciple the youngest generation. Subscribe to the Christ for Disciples podcast by going to ChristForDisciples.com or searching on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and whatever else. ChristForDisciples.com. You are listening to the Gird Up Podcast. To gird up is an ancient way of preparing oneself for hard work or a battle ahead. Our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and to live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers working hard to become the men that God created us to be. Now it's time to roll up your sleeves and let's get to work. As we get rolling, remember, gentlemen, that this podcast is not affiliated with or sanctioned by any church or calling body. As always, listen with a discerning ear and hold up everything you hear against the canon of Scripture to determine what is and is not the Word of God. All right. Our guest today is Mr. Pastor JT McCraw. What's up, JT? Good. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, doing great. Loving the summer here now that we've actually arrived in, in summer break. So enjoying the time guys, off. Do you guys actually have a summer up there? Yeah, we do. Right now it's, uh, well, it's probably not like summer down by you, but you know, it's about 70 degrees and sunny today. So, yeah. And I'll take that any day. Gorgeous. It's go- oh, man, it's gorgeous outside. And there's a nice breeze blowing off the lake. And, yeah, it's good stuff. All right, now you're bragging. Let's let's just continue. <laughs> yep, everything's always cooler. That's what they always say around here. It's cooler by the lake. Everything's always cooler by the lake. So the closer you get to Adam, Lake Michigan, man, uh, that breeze Adam, coming Adam, off the lake Adam, always feels good. Add a body of water to anything, and it makes it a hundred pounds better. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. So you are a pastor and men's minister down in Nashville? Nashville. So we're a little south. Of, we all say Nashville here because that's what everybody knows. We, we are actually in a, in a suburb of Nashville called Brentwood and uh, have a church here, Bethel World Outreach Church. Uh, I've been here for this is my 24th year being here. Uh, I've only been on staff for the last since two, well since 2010, and I'm a men's pastor. I'm a singles pastor, and I deal with um, I'm kind of the first responder when there is a crisis. So okay, you know, yeah. So anything from someone going into the hospital to a marriage crisis to you know something happening with uh, a child, usually I'm the first the the first one out of the gate, and then I kind of. Uh, Bring in others. I say I'm the EMT. I'm not going to be the doctor, but I can sure get you bandaged up and where you need to go. So for long term care. <laughs> so right, yeah, right, that's, yeah. That's, but my but but men's men's pastor is definitely uh, my heartbeat. So yeah. So what's your uh, what's your backstory? Like, how did you end up uh, becoming a becoming a pastor? Well. Uh, <clears throat> You know, growing up, I always knew that I was going to be a home builder, a third generation. And, uh, you know, I loved it. I, I still love it. I love building. I love the whole process. I love taking something that, you know, 
for a moment there nothing existed on this piece of property to you know to the final of somebody moving in i mean i love that whole process and uh so that's what i did for 22 years and in 2008 the uh housing crisis uh hit and kind of took me under so uh, I had a had a lot of them. Well, I didn't have a lot. I had a couple houses uh, that I was trying to sell, and and basically is about three million dollars worth of debt that I couldn't repay. So banks come in, you know, they don't like that. So banks come in and <laughs> uh, took that over, and uh, I had to file bankruptcy. Which I hated doing, but and that kind of catapulted me into. Uh, you know, going from building homes to building men, right? I mean, I still, I still say I use the same process uh, that I did in, in building a house is the same process that I use in building men. So, uh, and that came about from my own, you know, like I spoke last night at church and I was saying, you know, man, I can tell you where certain roads lead and they lead to rock bottom every single time. Mm-hmm. But the great, mm-hmm. the great thing about Arriving at rock bottom is that's the best place to start laying a foundation. And yeah, so, you know, man, I did a lot of things wrong in my life. Uh, and so I have a, a lot of foundations that I've built. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just, <laughs> and again, we try to build them with different things that we, you know, as a pastor, not even as a pastor, really, that's unfair. As just a Christian, you know, I understand that if you don't lay a foundation with Christ, as that foundation, then whatever I build, I'm going to, re- I'm just going to return right back to it and have to rebuild it again. So, uh, that's how I kind of, you know, my own story of, of, of struggle and sin and trail and unfaithfulness with my wife for, you know, the first 13 years of my marriage. Uh, you know, all that is why I love sitting down with men and just, Man, letting them, letting them know that you do not have to go down this road. You actually have a different choice and really helping them understand what God has placed in them already. It's not anything new. I mean, God, you know, we don't, we don't become a Christian and all of a sudden, you know, um, we, we're, we, we are changed, but man, the potential was already in it, in us. So it's just yeah. it's just becoming aware of man all the great things that God's put you on this planet to do, uh, and to be. So, man, that's just my heartbeat. I love it. I love helping guys. I love the, seeing the light come on whenever you're talking to them, and you know they're in a really a desperate state of realizing everything that they've built has been for nothing, and yeah. it, it's accumulated to. Man, nothing but trouble and and no peace, uh, despair, desperation, shame, isolation. You know, all of those. That's what it's produced. And man, when a guy realizes that he doesn't have to live that way, and you watch that happen, I mean, that's just that's that's my favorite. That's my favorite look when a man becomes aware mm-hmm. of of the greatness that he can achieve. So that's what I love doing. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's well said too. Um, so to kind of launch into the, and, uh, and, uh, if I push in the wrong buttons, you can tell me to back off, but like when you, when you, uh, 
you said first 13 years of your marriage, um, you're unfaithful to your wife. So when you, when like in that moment of, you know, realizing it's all coming to the surface and, and now, you know, your, your, uh, infidelity has been exposed. So like, how do you, where do you start like on the road back? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like, what does that look like then to, you now the, the phrase we use is to reclaim, you know, your masculinity or reclaim your, your place. Yeah. Like, what does that look like? Where do you even start? What does that process look like? Back off, pal. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, it's a great question uh, because it's really, like I stated earlier, I mean, they're, building is building. And whether it's a home, whether it's a marriage, whether it's your uh, finances, whatever, whatever it may be, building is the same. And there's a process, you know, and man, January, January 16th, 2004 is when I had to sit in front of my wife and reveal to her that I had been unfaithful. And by the way, uh, it, just to let you understand the depth of that is in 1995, I came clean about being unfaithful from the time that we were dating, which we started dating in 1989 till 1995. So I came clean of those years and went uh, with the counseling. I mean, I did everything that you're supposed to do, right? I checked off the boxes. Yeah. But, you know, about 1999, something like that, the year 2000. All those habits, you know, all the little bitty things that I used to do, whether it was flirting or whatever, man, I started doing again. And of course, it led down the exact same road, right? Didn't change. And I, uh, I was unfaithful several times again. So, you know, sitting down and revealing to your wife once is horrific. Uh, I mean, there's no, mm -hmm. in my opinion, there's no greater betrayal than two people who, Two mm -hmm. people who made a covenant and one of them was unfaithful and broke that covenant. So to mm -hmm. sit down with your wife for the second time and say, oh, by the way, I just repeated everything again, uh, was beyond, was mm -hmm. beyond devastating. And my wife and I, uh, that night, I mean, she, I was not allowed in the house anymore, obviously. Um, uh, and you know, I, that's where I say, man, that night, uh, and the next day, man, it was tangible darkness in my life. I mean, I could, you know, when you can walk into a room, you kind of feel the atmosphere. It's like, man, something's, you know, it's either joyous or something, you know, like a funeral, so to speak. When you walk into a funeral, I mean, you can just feel the, the, the death yeah. of loss and, you know, just, it's just tangible. And I could feel that for two yeah. days. Uh, and it was like a weight was on my chest for two days. I mean, it was just, I don't know how else to describe it. I didn't sleep. I was suicidal. Uh, and, and again, just to, uh, go a little step deeper into this, just so that people understand, um, uh, is I remember I said, I've been at this church for 24 years. So you do the mm -hmm. math and. I was mm -hmm. here. Uh, I was playing keyboards on the worship team. I was 
you know, uh, friends with all the leaders and the pastors. And that was kind of my interesting. That was my safety net because the closer you are to leadership, the more people don't ask you questions because they assume that you're good. So yeah. it's an interesting twist. Yeah. Uh, but uh, when it all came out, uh, and, and, and 90, in 95, the first time we had just moved here. So, I mean, nobody really here in Nashville knew except for my, uh, very, very close friends. But in 2004, man, that was a big deal. And, you know, obviously I was sat down from leadership and, uh, man, I didn't even think that they'd let me come to the church again, to be honest. Uh, and I thought it was pretty gracious that they at least let me come to a service. Um, and, <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, again, the depth of deceit that we are capable of is pretty staggering. And it takes a lot, it takes a mm. lot of work to be that deceitful. Uh, I have figured out, I have figured <laughs> out over the years, it takes a lot less work to be honest and be transparent than it is to be deceitful and lie all the time. Because there's too many things you got to keep up. There's too many yeah. things you got to keep up with. Too many, you know, what did I tell them that I, what, you know, what do I have to hide? You know, I got to be sure I clear my history. You know, I mean, it's just crazy the amount of work it takes to be deceitful. And I got pretty yeah. good at it. So, uh, so all of that, you know, man, here January hits and I'm out of my house. And to go back to your question, I mean, where do you start? You know, man, it was just the, for me, uh, and again, I tell guys this all the time, man, look, God does not forgive your excuses. He doesn't forgive your just, he doesn't forgive mm. your justifications. He doesn't, you know, forgive, you know, all the, well, I didn't have a dad or my dad did this. My, I will come from an abusive family. And, you know, again, all those are, are horrific, by the way. And they're definitely reasons, but we just can't use them as excuses. We have to say, man, like Paul said, oh, wretched man, am I, I'm the worst. And I need to humbly confess my sins. And when we do that, Christ will and has to actually, he's bound to do it. He's got to forgive. And that was my start. That was my starting yeah. point. So like I said, rock bottom. Okay, let's start building the right way. And I grew up in church. And here's the funny thing. I grew up in church my whole life. My mom was secretary. We were best friends with the pastors. We actually lived in the parsonage. You know, I was in the youth. I mean, you name it, I've done it in church. But yet I, there was no transformation of my life. It was just a learned skill like anything else. I just learned how to do church. I learned the language. I learned what you could and could not do in front of right. people. I, I, you know, but then I had this whole other second life that I was doing whatever I wanted to do, whether it was, you know, growing up, whether yeah. it was, you know, cause I was, um, promiscuous in high school. Uh, and that came out of a, uh, I lost my innocence when I was six years old, uh, by a babysitter. So, you know, that, that really messes with a kid's mind. You know, you, sex yeah, gets distorted sure. and the word love gets distorted. So, uh, you know, but I could see, I could have used all of those as excuses 
uh, and to just continue to live a, a life of victimhood, really. You know, I'm a victim of things that were out, that were out of my control. But even those things, but even those things right. to say, you know what, man, I forgive and I'm re- I, I'm responsible not for what happened to me, but I'm responsible to not use those as an excuse to be transparent before God like he doesn't know already anyway. And and say, man, I'm a sinner. I have done all these things and I need your grace to save me. I need to be I need I need help. And that's really the starting point is to get to that absolute truth about yourself. And don't don't cut yourself any slack at all. Like no excuse. I, I wish I knew who to give credit to this statement for. Uh, but I say this all the time, guys, all the time. I say excuses are tools of incompetence that build that build monuments of nothingness, and those who use them seldom amount to anything. And and it's like <laughs> we have to yeah. get past uh, all the things that happened to us growing up, whether by our own doing or by someone else's we got to get past all those things that doesn't matter and we got to have you know if if who wants a doctor about if you went to the doctor and you've got cancer who doesn't want a doctor to be absolutely true truthful with them about what it is i mean we don't want we, we don't want nonchalantness like, <laughs> well, you got cancer where was it at well i don't know it's in your body somewhere you know we don't want that. We want where where is it? Right. Because if you don't know the truth about your condition, you'll never know the truth of the solution. And so the the solution becomes right. Christ is my solution for this life that I've been living that has led me to nothingness. I have nothing to show for. So it's that truth being just ultimately, you know, the ultimate truth about yourself. Don't give yourself any slack. And then really uh, continuing that that life of transparency. Uh, I say this all the time too: don't give the enemy any blackmail material, right? Don't give him material to blackmail your life. And when a person is blackmailed, it's because they have some mm. secret that they don't want somebody to know. That's how you black. That's how you blackmail somebody. So man, just live a life of transparency. Now look, not to the whole world, but you you have to have a team of guys. You've got to have a band of brothers that you can just be honest with and, and not worried about, you know, being judged or what if they do judge you? So what? You be transparent. You know, it's funny when we're that transparent, usually the guys that are our friends are not judgmental. I've never had one of my I've never had one of my guys, yeah. you know, act tall, high and mighty like they didn't have something wrong either. Actually, transparency breeds transparency. So I, I say all the time as a leader, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I will try to be the most transparent person in this room. Now, as a pastor, you know, it's kind of uh, a lot of pastors think that they can't be honest because of their position. And I understand that to a degree, man, you've got to have people, uh, at least a few that you can be totally transparent with. And, you know, you're not worried about your job or you're not worried about how people, your credibility, 
In fact, I say all the time, I have more credibility because I am transparent. Because at the end of the day, we all have screwed up lives. At the end of the day, all of us are dealing with something. And usually it just takes one person to be super transparent. And then we go, okay, we start comparing, right? Well, at least I ain't that bad. I mean, I can be transparent now. <laughs> so uh, my wife and I, we've opened up right. several marriage conferences. And I, I kid all the time and say, how would you like to have a life that they go, let's get this couple to talk because then, you know, it'll make everybody else feel good about themselves. You know, so it's like, wow, thanks. But uh, so anyway, <laughs> that's the, you know, that's the process is really, you know, man, you got to, you got to, you got to be, have the, the truth about your condition. You got to be, continue to be transparent. You, you're transparent with those team, that band of brothers. Uh, that you surround yourself with. And I had five because it, it just took, you know, it just took that many yeah. to keep me straight. So now, now I think I've got about a hundred. I mean, I got <laughs> so many guys probing in my life all the time. It's like, man, a lot. I don't need any more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, when you talk about that transparency, um, like, yeah, I, 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 it just, the reality is that they need it too, first of all, you know, like the, the, the men that you're being, like breeding that transparency absolutely. with, they need it just as much as any of us do. Um, because there is no right. man who's absolutely got it figured out. And then, um, beyond that, even like the, like our biggest fears are that you know, people are going to think less rejection. of us or people rejection. are going to, yeah, rejection's you know, a big one. Yeah. You know, be right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and especially with uh, like, uh, and then even with you know girlfriends or or wives or whatever, and not that you should just bear like right, right. show up on a first date and bear it all, you know, <laughs> like uh, just open your soul and bear it to them. But um, like I, I've never, like you said, I've never once had uh, an open and honest conversation with somebody, you know, who had kind of earned the uh, right. earned the privilege of being able to have that conversation. And not had them say, you know, you know, thank you for, thank for opening up. And here's, yeah. here's what, uh, here's what I'm struggling with too. Never, yeah, never. There's had really, that go there's really nothing that come, bad that comes out of, yeah. you know, being transparent. Uh, I mean, look, there are, is it risky? I mean, are there going to be those people who reject you? Absolutely. But those people are dead to me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but you know, those people, are, but, but, I, but I understand that. <laughs> I have mercy with them because <laughs> they have yet to taste, right? Or they have forgotten what it tastes like to be at the bottom. Yeah. And, and to realize that, that every person gets there. At some yeah. time in life, you're going to reach that place. Uh, yeah. It's just inevitable. So uh, you just got to have grace with those kind of folks. Well, you don't want to be the... Uh... Yeah, you don't uh, want to be the unforgiving servant, right? You've been forgiven a debt of what five million dollars. Yeah, that's, that's, come ex back that's and exactly and right. Over five hundred. Always remember, you know. Absolutely, and let you know, him who is sinless never, cast the first stone. Uh, my wife would probably say this: that one of the the greatest things <laughs> about me now is I don't forget what I've been forgiven of because I'm. I know that I did not deserve it, uh, and not just from not just from God. I mean, that's the yeah. obviously that's the you know 
I have to have that regardless. But for my wife to forgive me. Now that's, you know, God kind of is trapped by his own words, right? It's like, no, if I confess, if I confess sin, he's got to forgive me. (laughs) My wife, my wife does not. And the ultimate pain that a woman can go through outside of the death of a child, I think is betrayal of a husband. And for my wife to, now again, this wasn't the next week. I mean, this was, you know, almost a year of me living outside of the house and, you know, and, and, and just working this out, man, she didn't have to forgive me and she did not have to uh, keep this marriage. And yet, yet she did. So I never forget that gift ever. I mean, every day when I look at my wife, I just go, man, I, you know, even yeah. this morning, we were talking about uh, a person getting married uh, next week uh, in a couple of weeks. And uh, she was saying, wouldn't it just be weird if we were at that wedding with two different families? And because we're real close with this family. In fact, they, he's one of my guys that helped me walk through uh, all this stuff back in 2004. And uh, she goes, wouldn't it be weird if we were two different families? So it's it's not a constant yeah. conversation, but it sure is understood in our home that uh, we're living a miracle. We have a miracle marriage, no doubt about it. And uh, it was a lot of hard work. It was a lot of hard work, a lot of forgiveness. Yeah. Uh, a lot of communication, a lot of, you know, building back trust, which I thought I wouldn't, you know, there was a time I thought maybe, you know, I'll have 50% of her trust, but there's always going to be that mistrust in our marriage. And I was willing actually to accept that uh, because again, I didn't, I'm the one that did it. You know, if you do the deed, you can't, you can't control, you know, the consequence. Right. So uh, I was just happy to, I used to say all the time, man, I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm good, you know. So, and I say all the time, you know, look, the only <laughs> thing I'm married to is my wife. Everything else is up for grabs, even my kids. So that's kind of scares them a little bit. But it's like, you know, my wife, man, she just didn't have to stay. <laughs> and so I never forget. I've never, see, what is that? This is 2019. So it's 15 years removed. And it's fresh on my mind all the time is that God forgave me and my wife forgave me. And it really helps me look, you know, we're talking about other people, you know, somebody gets mad at me and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I say something that offends them and, you know, man, I, I'll tell you what, I just don't sweat that stuff very much. Because, uh, you know, it's like, man, the one person in my whole life that didn't have to forgive me and love me chose to do it. So it's like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm set in life. <laughs> so I've been, you know, accidentally and they get all mad at me. It's like, yeah. man, okay. Uh, it doesn't move me much, you know? So, so anyway, that's, uh, that's uh, <laughs> kind of a tribute to the greatness of my yeah. life for sure. Cause she, uh... Yeah. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate you sharing that. I know that, uh, that, uh, Airing out your dirty laundry oh, you're isn't absolutely always welcome. an easy thing to do. So thank you for sharing that. I've got um, I've, I've got used to it over the time. years. Uh, yeah, I mean that's yeah, my, it's, it's kind like, of my calling I mean, card. You know, a lot of times where I go speak at these men's conferences <laughs> or 
men's groups or whatever, you know, it's, I mean, the scripture is true. It's the power of God's word and, and my testimony. You know, the, it's both of those things that can really move a man mm-hmm. from where he is now to where he could be and where actually God wants him to be. So, you know, if that's, if that's the price that I pay for, for yeah. peace, uh, with God and with my wife, man, I'll, I'll do it all day long. Yep. Awesome. Sweet. Um, so, uh, on, on the great man website and on, uh, you know, like when you, when you talk, you, you talk about you're a men's coach. So, um, what does men's coaching look like? Like if, 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 uh, somebody brought you on to coach for you to coach them, yeah, what, I mean, like what does men's coaching look like? Uh, any, wherever a man is, is in life, we feel that he can always, you know, he, he can always be pushed and challenged and encouraged to be, uh, to take steps to be, to become, I, I don't like the word I'm a better man. That's not one of my favorite statements. A lot of people say that, but it's just like, man, like I go back to building. <laughs> there are areas in every man's life that could be built stronger and greater than where it currently is. That will sustain him through storms of life and where he can become that lighthouse and that anchor for other people, which is the greatest, which is the, which is the greatest reward, I believe, is that, you know, I, I mean, I haven't gone through all that I've gone through and learned all that I've learned and all that just so that I can go home and watch TV in a good mood. Right. No, we went through all that so that we could help other people. <laughs> so whether, whether that's, uh, you know, in a man's life, whether that's yeah. his family, meaning, you know, his, his marriage and his fatherhood, whether it's in business, remember I own my own company for 20 years. So, I mean, I can, I can coach a man through whether it's a CEO or middle management or uh, whatever. I mean, I can sit down and help them in that area. Uh, whether it's just relationships where, you know, m- maybe there's, um, maybe as the relationship with his parents are just not that great, you know, maybe, uh, a relationship with a coworker, maybe he wants to know about dating, you know, I mean, in this world, oh my gosh, I mean, I can't imagine dating in this, in the world we currently live in, right? I just, it's, it's just so backwards expectations and what is what is deemed as healthy dating so it's like you know it, all areas of life it's like the greatest men on the planet as far as sports so let's say uh michael johnson or michael jordan or tiger woods or lebron james you name the sports figure all of them have a coach every single one of them because a because a coach will let you know mm-hmm. and if you'll tweak this mm-hmm. or I see this and it's not usually it's not huge, gigantic revelations. I mean, it's just really small adjustments that it's just almost impossible for someone to see of themselves. It's it's almost impossible to self edit everything. And so you just need that. You need that person to make you more yeah. aware. Right. Cause I, we, cause we believe that. So I don't think that people wake up and say, I'm going to do an evil act today. 
right? I don't, I don't think, I mean, for the most part, I'm, I'll give a, <laughs> a little percentage, you know, out there of some crazies, but most men don't get up and say, I'm going to do evil today. Most men think that their intentions are going to uh, have a good consequence, right? It's like, I don't think a man goes, uh, man, right? You, you see what I'm saying? It's like, I don't, but yet. Right. So I, I don't, let me, let me word this differently. You may want to edit that one. Let me, let me word it this way. Men's <laughs> highest intentions are usually good. Meaning that let's just, let's just say something. Let's just go super extreme. Mm. Okay. This is just super extreme. Let's say somebody like that walks into a school and kills 17 kids like the like the shooting in Florida. You could say that that kid's highest intention was good. Now, it was distorted and it was evil. But in his own mind, he talked himself into what he was doing was good. It was for the better of right. So, again, that's an extreme. Yeah. That's an extreme illustration, but so right. I think that every man thinks that that his intentions are the highest good. But we know that look at that shooter, man. The the consequences of that way of thinking were not very uh, they they were catastrophic. And and so my job as a coach is to right. help make men more aware of who they are on the inside and what, what can they change? What can they get rid of? What can they remove to become the person that they were created to be the man that they were created and designed to be? How, what do we need to remove in order to get there? And again, that's whether that's in business or marriage or fatherhood or whatever. Yeah. We say men's coach just because I, I, I mean, obviously, I I don't have any problem with women whatsoever. I just don't want I, I just don't want to coach them, right? So that's why we say <laughs> men's coach because I, I would rather because of again because right. of my own story, uh, because of my own background, uh, I, I just relate to men more, and I can I can see my BS meter. I have a great BS meter, so it's like I can sit down with a man and just and, and just I feel like I can help him be, <laughs> and be efficient about it and and be very direct, but be kind. I'm not I'm not a mean guy, but I, but I am direct because I want men to achieve everything that they were put on this earth to achieve. And I know they can't do that uh, sitting at home, you know, going to work, going home, watching TV, going to bed, repeat. Right. There's got to be something. There's got to be something more in them. And most guys just don't. Yeah. They don't know it, or they're scared. They're scared of it. They're scared to take the risk. Uh, they're comfortable. You know, a lot of things we do are out of comfort. So I'd rather be. I'd rather be comfortable than to be challenged. Uh, but yet, it's the challenge and the struggle that that reveals who they really are. It's like I, uh, I have a couple of Navy SEALs that I that I meet with uh, periodically, and I love those guys. Uh, I mean, if you've never sat just 
sat down and talked to a guy that's been a special ops. I mean, they are a different breed. And, uh, man, they are, I mean, to me, they're some of the best humans on the planet. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's funny. I was talking to one of them. We were talking about buds, which is the, uh, you know, it's where a, a, a seal goes to, to go through the training to see if he can make it, if he makes it through buds, then he's a seal. Right. And, uh, we were talking and he said, you know, it's funny. He goes, I was a seal before I ever entered buds. Buds just revealed that I was a seal. I thought that was an interesting twist on it. I was like, okay. He said, I've always been, I've, I've all, I was uh, created to be a seal. And the buds just revealed that. So out of the hundred, I think 120 was in his class. Yeah. I think I may get this wrong, but I think he said only 24 or maybe 34 made it through. And he said, that's why I look at the guys that didn't make it through. And there's no judgment there because they were never a seal in the first place. Isn't that interesting? It's like, okay, that's a great way to look, uh, at, to, to look at that. Yeah. So you take that into manhood. I just, again, I think, yeah, I think that there, we're all created to be men. It's the life and the struggle and the challenge that reveals that, man, you, you were created for this. You just didn't, you just didn't realize it yet. You, you just hadn't become, you just hadn't become aware of the greatness that's, that's yeah. been laying dormant inside of you. It was just, it was just waiting to be, you know, watered like a seed. It was just, it was just waiting, waiting to be watered and waiting to be exposed to sunlight or it was, it was just waiting there for something to happen. So that's what we try to move. That's what I try to move guys toward. It's really not a coach like a like an NFL coach, so so to speak. It's more of uh, coaching, meaning I'm I'm just there to ask the right questions to allow them to see what already exists inside of them. Yeah, because I don't want them to. At the end of the day, I don't want them to. I don't want to be their yeah. answer. Well, I'm actually... my my job as a coach is not to even have the answer. My job as a coach is to show them that they already have the answer inside of them. They've just been asking themselves the wrong questions. Does that make sense? Oh, okay. Well, I was about to say, I'm going to, yeah, I was about to say, I'm going to actually push back against that because as a coach, uh, your job is kind of to take inventory of the situation and say, what can we do to get better, right? And right. strip it down, simplify it. And then find a way to make it better. It's similar to the way you fix a car, right? Like you gotta take a, assess the situation, take inventory and say, all right, this is what needs to be done to get back on the road. Yeah. Um, and that I sounds mean, again, like one pretty of my much best what you're friends, doing. Uh, um, at least for the most part, right? coach for 31 years. We've had, and he, he and I've had this conversation several times, you know, as a, for him as an NFL coach, he had a program, right? And they looked for players to fit that program. You said, and you, cause you hear it all the time. Well, you know, that offense is not really good for that quarterback oh. because he's a West Coast offense guy or he's a, you know, he's a pocket passer or whatever the case may be. So he, he really doesn't fit our program very well. And once, a, see, once a person comes into that program, then they're assessed ah. based on that program and, and they'll, they want him to get better, but it's to fit the program where me as a coach, I, I come in without a program. 
I'm not looking, I'm not I'm not bringing you a program and assessing you based yeah. on what on me. I mean, it's like going back to my home building days. I was a custom builder. I mean, I never built the same house twice ever. It was always it was always a different house. So I look at men that way. Man, men yeah. are all custom builds. There's now we all have fundamental things that are the same. Right. Just, just again, just like a home. I mean, there's a bathroom, there's a kitchen, there's, you know, I mean, there's basic, the, there's basic fundamental things that are the same, man. There's a lot of things that are not the same that a man actually has the choice. See, he has to realize that he is his own builder and he gets the choice. Right. So it's my job just to allow him to see what already exists inside of him. And I can't compare him to somebody else because that's unfair. That's unfair for him. Uh, now, again, I can I can lean on my experience. I can lean on my own stories. But the way that I lean on those is to come up with the right question. So it gets him to think a different way. That's where I rely on that stuff. If that makes sense. Yeah. So if we really taught that. Uh, I'm certified actually yeah. through John Maxwell. Yeah. You've heard that name before. Uh, so that's my certification. And, you know, going through that process, I mean, yeah. they, they yeah. were very um, emphatic about not telling people what to do, but just guiding them in a different way so that they can see again that everything that they need, everything a man need, God already placed in them. Uh, you, the only thing you get when you become saved is you get a, you get the chance and the ability to think different and clearly, right? So again, that's that's what we that's what we do. Yeah, what I do as a coach, uh, and that's why I say, man, I can do it from your bathroom to your business, <laughs> whatever, whatever, whatever a man needs. Uh, I feel like that I can help them <laughs> realize that they actually are living a life uh, lesser than what they can. So I love the great man coaching. I love calling it that just because, man, we, we want to show you that greatness already exists in you. It's not, you, you don't get an injection of greatness. You already have it. You're just not aware of it yet. And you can be a better businessman. Your business can actually make more money by you thinking more clearly. Like I've, I've talked to guys that my fee, oh my gosh, they, they would pay mm. me quadruple what I, when I charged them because of, because of the outcome was them realizing some things about <laughs> themselves, which in turn made them change the way they do business and view business and they actually became more profitable. So it's, you know, this has a lot of, uh, has a lot of ramifications in, in the positive whenever you figure out uh, God's giftedness in you and what he's, again, already put into you. So it's fun. I'm just so. But but again, that's the whole manhood thing. I mean, yeah. I think a lot of guys these days don't know what that means. You know, we've, we've lost, you know, again, just this is how societies do as we grow. You know, some things are lost. Everything's a trade off. I just think that we've, you know, we've lost some, uh, some honor and nobility, 
uh, and being a man and being masculine. Um, and, you know, helping guys realize that. Uh, like I was with a guy the other day, a mm-hmm. young man, he was uh, a, he was a teenager. And we were just talking about walking down the street. And I said, what side of the street, if you're walking down the street with a, with a young lady, which side do you walk on, the street side or the building side? He was looked at me like, what kind of question is that? <laughs> you know, and I'm sitting there going, champ, you have to walk on the street side <laughs> because that's showing yeah. that you're protecting her. Yeah. If a car or if something, you know, would have happened that you, you want to be the one to take the hit. Where she was like, he was like, no, I think I'll stick to the wall side. Like, no, no, no. You know? <laughs> but, yep. but, I mean, just the simple things like that, that, you know, we take <laughs> for granted because that's, I grew up in, you know, being, having manners and, you know, being uh, respectful of women and, you know, in certain in certain ways. In other ways, I was very dishonorable to women, but in a lot of ways I was, I was respectful. Right. So, uh, I just think we've lost some of that in our society. So uh, that's right. another way that we kind of help coach guys. Uh, the etiquette of manhood, I guess, is a way to say it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Sure, sure. And and we could we could dwell on that for a while, but uh, I I want to I got other things I want to ask you, so we're gonna keep moving here. Um. Uh. So. The, uh, there's a famous Thoreau quote. It's one of my favorites uh, where he says, you know, mm. most men or the mass of men leave, yes. li- lead lives of quiet desperation. I'm sure you've heard that before, and it's absolutely true. Um, but uh, so the follow-up question, then, and it's, it's obscenely open-ended, and you're going to hate me for asking it. But if what's that's the that? case, then Boy, that is what's open-ended. wrong with men? Like, what's that, the deal? <laughs> I'm just open-ended question because that's what I ask. Okay, so – What's wrong with men? Uh, I, I wish that it was as simple as one thing because then it would be so simple to fix, right? Uh, it, it is a plethora of things that have gone on, uh, you know, just historic-wise, uh, a little history, you know, Man, you go all the way back to the Industrial Revolution, and that's really when America started to change. Because, you know, up until that time, the father was in the home a lot. Uh, you know, he either worked, he either worked the property, his own property as a farmer, livestock, you know, or yeah. he was a he was a builder, you know. But all these communities were pretty close knit communities. And when the Industrial Revolution hit, the father went out of the home for the first time, really. And the the roles kind of shifted to where the, the mother stayed home with the kids and the father went to work. Father came home from work. He was tired. You know, he had given his really given his best at work to perform, to make money for his family. Uh, and then the mother was in charge of raising the boys, getting them to sometimes schooling them, you know, back then. And, uh, you know, homeschool is not a new uh, idea, you know, that's been around for a long, long time. So, uh, a lot of people, a lot of people used to do that, you know, and just the mother really, that's been around for a long, long time. So, uh, <laughs> a lot of people, a lot of people used to do that, you know, yeah, because again, fathers are leaving the house for the first time, you know, I mean, obviously not a hundred percent, but for the most part, and then you had, you know, so after the industrial revolution, then you had the wars. So you had, 
World War One and two. Mm-hmm. So now the dads are not just leaving the home and coming back that night. They're leaving the home and not coming back for weeks or months and sometimes never. Yeah. And so, so women are really left the responsibility. Well, and sometimes uh, returning damage too, you know, sure. uh, it plays a real, oh, yeah. and that plays, that plays a vital role in my own personal family history is just that devastation of coming back from a war, particularly before they understood what PTSD was, you know? Like right. that plays a big role in a kid's life too. Yeah, and especially, I mean, you you come up to, you know, what was different about uh, the both one and two world wars, and then something like um, the Korean affair or um, the Viet the Vietnam War. And now you had people coming back that were not respected. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of you know. Soldiers coming back from especially the Vietnam War, I mean, man, they took the brunt of anger and, you know, rejection and all of that stuff. So, uh, I mean, I can't even imagine uh, what that felt like. So, you know, then you got disengaged as now you have them in the home, but now they're disengaged. Yeah. They're they're emotionally spent. Uh, At the same time, think about this at the same time is when the Kinsey report comes out. The Kinsey report, for those who don't know it, was uh, a report on human sexuality that basically stated that um, that you could have, not to be crass, but, you know, that, <laughs> Go ahead. You, that you could have an orgasm as a two-month-old baby. So Ooh. therefore, so therefore, you know, uh, human sexuality was moral, meaning that, uh, you know, that was normal. It was, it was normal to, uh, have orgasm and to have, you know, those experiences and stuff. So he really started the sexual revolution. Yeah. Interestingly, uh, there was a guy that said he, he was a virgin in college and he said, I will become the pamphleteer for the Kinsey way of thinking. And that guy's name was Hugh Hefner. So you can see where now, which of course he started Playboy. And so now you got the seventies starting this whole sexual revolution where, you know, man, it's free sex for all. Right. And, and just, you know, now again, think about this, the obstetrication of women, at that point and you know the women's rights movement and you know which again we should men should champion that kind of stuff i'm not a i'm not afraid of you know it's like you know or is it men against women no it's not <laughs> i mean the only way you would make it that way is if you're trying to you know win a war i'm not trying to i'm not trying to win with women I, i'm trying to exist peacefully because both of us have different functions that the other can't do. So we actually need each other. Function yeah. properly, right? So, but you got porn starting. So you got Playboy, which porn started, you know, which, you know, my gosh, we are, we don't even know the ramifications of all of that to this day. Oh, yeah. We don't know how that's changed a way of thinking. We don't know how that's changed even the, 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 
composition of our brains. And, and we don't, we just, there's no understanding of that yet. At best, it's been a big experiment and we don't know the outcome. Uh, we can see, we can see the, you know, some, some consequences of it, uh, that I don't think we've seen all of it. So, you know, to go back to the original question, what's, you know, what's wrong with men? I mean, man, we're so confused about what real masculinity looks like that it's almost like we're paralyzed and we're afraid to do anything because we don't know what to do. So we just stay in our secret little lives and we stay isolated, which we were never created to be isolated, not ever. We were created for community, right? And so and where a man's isolated is where shame can come in and you know it, it's just so self-defeating that and they accept that this is going to be their life that's why, suicide, yeah. that's why suicide rates are higher with men you know there's a men are men are high, you know incarcerated more they do more violent crimes they do all, it's just all this pent up all of this anger all of this you know purposeless life uh and that's an that's one of the outcomes of it. So I think we're directionless for the most part. Uh, we've lost our way. We don't know how to get back. And again, being a men's coach, that's what I that's what I want to help men do is help them find their way. And they do have a way. They do have a purpose. They do have they have unique good things that God's given them that only they are going to be able to accomplish certain things in this life. And it's like, the, I love the movie 300. You know, one of the great lines in that movie is, you know, what we do echoes in eternity. That is a true statement. If I were just, yeah. if I were just to believe that what I'm doing, you know, when I die, I die, and that's it, then it's over. I mean, man, there's just not a lot of hope in that statement. But if I know that how I'm living now actually will carry on into eternity, well, that changes some stuff. And, you know, just I want men to realize that there's eternal value to how they live their life right now. And yeah. And again, living for the sake of others, that's kind of our motto. I mean, it's like, man, that's that's where every man, every man should should get to that point where he's living for the sake of someone else. And that means that his choices will be different. That means that he will actually take care of himself. Right. You have to focus on your it's, a, it's an interesting concept. You actually have to focus on yourself so that you can help others. Yeah. You have to focus on your health. You have to focus on, you know, getting your finances right. You have to focus on all these things so that you can have the ability to help others. And I think we've lost that. Um, I mean, obviously, we're a very self-absorbed society. And that's, I mean, that, that self you know, self-sufficiency doesn't have a gender, right? I mean, it's just, that's everybody. But, right. but I think that, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that, you know, it's the men that really need to uh, see that where our choices and how culture has pretty much lied to us. I mean, think about this. The same culture that said free sex for everybody in the 70s now is crucifying the guys that that they taught to think that way. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Harvey Weinstein and all these dudes. And of course, they should be absolutely held accountable for what they did because what they did was horrific. Culture taught them that. (laughs) That's why I I say you can't trust culture because they're teaching you one thing and 20 years later, they're going to say, you know, you're terrible. And it's just, you know, but that's why, again, there's a lot of reasons why men are confused. It's not all their own doing. You know, it's what's been thrust upon us. We just have to be more aware of that because when you're more aware of that, then you can, you're able to make better decisions and you're actually able to see the consequences way ahead of time, right? If if people knew that what they're doing, right? It's funny. If we could have our consequences immediately, our culture would be different. But because it takes yeah. it takes so long for a consequence to happen, uh, you know, because again, as a dad, I don't, I didn't think the way that I raised my kids was bad, but now I kind of kind of see some consequences of how they're living a little bit, and not that it's bad, but just like, oh wait a minute, you know, they learned that from me. Well, that's not what I meant. I, I didn't mean, you know, <laughs> but that's I mean, all parents go through that, but. That's why I think, you know, what's wrong with men? I mean, I think we're just directionless. We're aimless. We, we live with a lot of shame. We live with a lot of guilt. We live, we live a paralyzed life. We settle for the lesser desires of life instead of going after the greater desires of life. There's no adventure. Uh, yeah. Know, I mean, there's a lot of factors. Uh, but I, again, I have a lot of hope that our culture can be changed, but I think it's changed when men change. And I don't think we, I don't think we can get around that. Yeah. Well, what, uh, well, we always talk about is purpose, yeah. right? Um, but that's like, that's always the foundation of when anytime I get the t- a chance to talk to a group of men is, is, uh, start with purpose and identifying, like, I'll straight up ask them, you know, like, what, what do you, what, you know, what does it mean to be a man? And they'll, man, they, like, they shower down all kinds of, frankly nonsense that like the fit kind of fits into the same categories but yeah, everybody has their own idea of you know, what does this mean and uh and so then sometimes they'll even kind of get into a because uh, i'll argue with them for fun sure. you know um and uh and uh you know it pushed back a little bit and and it kind of turns into this like well this is what it means to me right, right. and then that's the perfect foundation then to launch into this, a study of you know, what does it mean to be a man? It, it It's not actually up to you to determine. It's not to society to determine. And it's not even up to the church to determine what does it mean to be a man. It's up to God and God alone. Right. And so then when you look into the creation account, like it's very clear, you know, God says, you know, you're created to bring, to bring him glory. You're created because he delights in you and he wants to have a relationship with you. And he wanted the humans he created, men in particular, because he hadn't created Eve yet. Um, but he, he said, be fruitful, increase in number and take care of the garden. Right. right. And so man's that's that's man's God ordained responsibility. And it's Eve's job. If Eve is his helpmate, then it's Eve's job to come into that picture and walk alongside him. And they're running together towards that. And then when Adam sins, you know, he adds the uh, the, uh, the the Ryan Mickler rule, if you, if you will, uh, to that, where now it's also your responsibility to protect, provide, and preside over your family um, because now there's evil and wickedness in the world. Um, 
And, and when you can lay that out and say, this is what we're pursuing, this is what we're doing, um, this is what it means to be a man, all of a sudden, you know, it's a lot easier to, to line up your, to line up your compass, right. right? And say, this is, this is where I'm headed. This is the way that I should be walking in. And it's a lot easier than to hear the voice of God. It, it's in Isaiah. He says, uh, there will always be a small voice behind you saying, this is, whether you turn to the right or to the left, there'll be a voice behind you saying, this is the way walk yeah. in it. Um, and when you identified purposes, you know, this is where I'm going. This is where I'm headed, uh, to bring glory to my heavenly father, to take care of my family, uh, and to be in, in relationship with God, man, anything that doesn't stick to that just falls to the wayside. It's true. And, you know, you said that very well. And, you know, I've learned, I'm learning. I used to say I've, I've learned, but I've, now I've learned that I'm always learning. So <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm continuing to learn the value. You know, my purpose as a man, I mean, just think about it this way. God could have sent anybody from heaven to die for our sins. He's got that much authority. I mean, can you imagine the argument? You know, can you imagine mm-hmm. Michael over going, man, I hope you don't pick me. You know, oh, gosh. You know, so he's got, <laughs> he's got these thousands and thousands of angels and stuff that he could have he could have sent as an atonement for our sin, but he values us enough and he puts such a high value on us. The only thing that could equal that value was his own son. That's a pretty incredible thought. And so it's like, if he values me that much, then, and he values a relationship. Because again, when Adam and Eve sinned or when Adam sinned, you know, God didn't, do a Sean Lynch stiff arm on him, you know, and go, okay, okay, it's over. <laughs> no, he actually went looking for them. And God still does the same thing. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter, um, you know, the, the, the things that we have done or haven't done. He can, he still comes looking for us because he values a relationship that much. So it's like, if I realize yeah. that, then I'm in return, I'm going to, I have to put a, I have to put the same value on the relationship with him. And there, and it doesn't get any yeah. higher than that because it's out of, it's out of that yeah. relationship that I actually realized that, you know, my wife and I, uh, as a married couple, I actually cannot become who I'm supposed to be without her. Once that covenant's yeah. made, I can't become who I'm supposed to be without her. And I'm not going to drag her along with me in this life. We're actually, because the, the opposite of that is true too. She can't become who she's going to be without me. And so it becomes yeah. this, and I don't like to wear partnership in marriage. I just, I've never liked that because for one, I've had a couple partnerships that, you know, kind of separated. So I didn't like that very much in business. So it, it's a covenant. Mm-hmm. So once we make that covenant, man, we're in it together. And it's not a greater than, I'm not greater than my wife. She's not greater than me. There's an equal value, different functions. And when we do those, when we do those yeah. functions, man, we are unstoppable. And, you know, so that's, yeah. I love that picture because my, you know, again, my, my, the, the, the greatest thing I think that I can do as a man is, is to assume the responsibility that God's given me. 
wherever that, whatever stage of life I'm in. Because our responsibilities change, you know, as we grow up and we get in the middle, mm-hmm. middle life. And then as we uh, are in the latter years of our life, responsibilities change. But at, at every stage, if I will accept those responsibilities and I, I will, I actually will become the man that I'm created to be because that you can't become a man without those responsibilities. It, it's, it's impossible actually. So, uh, and not to miss the season changes. Uh, my mentor and friend, Stephen Mansfield, you know, he, he talks about this, uh, quite a bit and he's got a book called the 10 signs of a leadership crash. And the number one thing that, that causes a man to crash is he misses a season in life, a season change. And, you know, those season, those seasonal mm. changes, you know, you, you, you think that what you did in this season, you can do in the other and, and, and you can make it, but it's actually not true. So you have to be fully aware of seasonal changes. And that, that's again, going back to the coaching. That's another thing that I help guys realize is, you know, what season are you in? And most importantly, what's the next season coming? Because don't miss it. Because that's when guys end up in affairs. They end up in, you know, crashing and burning. You know, they lose businesses. They lose purpose. They lose vision. They lose all of that stuff. And it's simply because they missed the season. And, but man, if we'll assume, you know, I'm talking to older, uh, when I say older, uh, I'm, I mean, guys in their 60s and 70s now. And, you know, this is the, think about, this is the greatest time of their life because they have more wisdom, more knowledge, and they can be, they can have a bigger impact on men's lives because of that. You know, but if they don't realize that, then they're just, you know, they'll go into retirement, play golf every year and be bored to tears. But if they, but if they realize, man, you're in a different season now. And this season is the greatest. Because the scripture is true, your ladder will be greater than your past. And to me, that's what that scripture means. Is the older I get, man, this is I'm I continue to enter the greatest season of my life every time I enter a different season. If not, then I I I need a I need a thought calib- recalibration. You know, I need somebody to come in and and and, and help me because I'm not thinking I'm not thinking straight. So. Uh, yeah, but yeah, the responsibility of seasons is a is a big big deal, uh, and accepting that responsibility, learning how to accomplish that responsibility, gathering other men around me to keep me accountable so I can achieve that you know that that responsibility. I mean, all that's super important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so. uh um, we, we always ask the, the, every guest the same three questions before we let you go. Um, and so the first one of those questions, I did not prepare you for this, um, but uh, <laughs> you'll do fine. Well, so let's, the, let, uh, let's wait to judge, let's the, wait to judge uh, that the, the last one, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose, maybe. Might have to, anyway. <laughs> uh, first question is, uh, what does your spiritual life look like? And, and in, to, to kind of reframe that question is, um, like what, what does your Bible reading look like or your prayer life, your meditation life? Like, how do you, like, what, what do your habits look like? Maybe is a better way to ask that, um, to keep you on, on the right path. Yeah. Great question. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, 
the Bible is the most important uh, library of books that I have because uh, it's not one book, right? It's 66 books. It's like when I ask guys all the time, you know, how many books do you read a year? Oh, one or two. Okay, you're looking at the Bible wrong. Because <laughs> please, please tell me you're reading more than one, you know, book of the Bible a year. Uh, you know, my uh, my, it's funny, my appetite for reading over the past, and this is probably because of Stephen Mansfield. Uh, it's his influence on my life. Uh, you know, man, I've just become, I've just become this hungry reader. I just cannot. I'm always listening to audiobooks. I'm reading a book. I think I'm reading four books at the moment. Uh, listening to two. I, <laughs> I got the, you know, I'm spaz like that. So I just, I go back and forth. Actually, I'm reading, I just downloaded Ryan's Sovereign book. Uh, so I got, yeah, he sent me a copy. Oh, that's but, a good one. Um, uh, or actually one of the, one of his guys sent me a copy. Uh, and I've, I've read it. I've read chapters of it. Uh, but I've just downloaded, you know, his books. So I'll start that next week after I get done with the book I'm reading now, uh, which is the history of philosophy. I mean, that's an interesting kind of read, but, uh, and I'm also reading, uh, maps of meaning by, um, what's that guy's name, Jordan Peterson, which is about a 30 hour listen, you know, it's 30 hours of audio. Oh my gosh. Uh, so, you know, I'm constantly doing that <laughs> podcast. Of course, uh, I listen to a ton of podcasts. Uh, so I'm, I'm always eager to learn. Scripture is obviously, uh, has got to be more important than all of that. Uh, and, and because of what I do for a living, obviously I have to, you know, it's almost like my job to read the Bible, uh, especially when I teach, you know, um, but, you know, just the want to sit down and just, you know, for most time for me, uh, lately I've, I've been taking one or two verses and just really not glossing over them, but just really thinking deeply about them and trying to get as much out of one scripture in context, of course, uh, as possible. And that, that's kind of been, uh, that's just been a lot of food for my soul, really. Uh, cause it's not a, I guess it's my age, you know, I used to be kind of a checklist kind of guy. So, okay, I read my Bible today. Now, what'd you get out of it? Uh, <laughs> I, well, I read my Bible today, you know, so, but now, but now, you know, I can sit down yeah. and sometimes I'll stick on a scripture for a whole week and just really, you know, read like, like I got the apologetic study Bible sitting in front of me. I'll read that thing. I'll read ESV. I'll read NIV. I'll read, you know, a study Bible. I got John Maxwell's Bible. You know, I mean, I'll read same scripture out of you know five or six seven translations and just really try to chew on that you know it's like a like i learned about a month ago how important it is to chew your food really slow and and really chew it up because that's how god designed our body uh so so it's like i've and it digests <laughs> it better right it's it's less work on our internal system if we do that we just take our time and chew our food so I guess that's kind of what I've been doing with scripture, just taking my time, you know, outside of when I teach. Of course, I got to do that. But just, man, just chewing on a scripture or two and really just getting it digested into my system. Uh, so I, I think it's probably my habit. You know, mornings are, uh, 
you know, first thing I do when I get in my truck is I turn on either the Bible if I didn't read that morning uh, or a book. Uh, and usually that's that's, you know, I don't do a business book in the morning, but usually that's at night. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's I'm kind of all over the map on that one. But, but I'm you know, the point is, I'm constantly in it uh, and, it's con- and it's constantly around. Yeah. Uh, my prayer life, you know, like I told you when uh, when we talked earlier, you know, I have I have five alarms, actually six alarms on my phone that go off every day. Uh, and it's the birth dates of my children and my wife. So like my wife was born on October 30th. So at 1030 every day, my alarm goes off and I pray, and I pray for her. Right. Oh, and I have cool. that with my kids. Uh, and again, just taking that, you know, scripture, man, just try to be prayer for all day and, and, and that kind of that mode. And it's not just, a again, a checklist thing. Uh, that we sit and, you know, well, I did my prayer this morning. Okay, great. You know, that means I prayed for about a minute, asked God, asking for what I needed and uh, told him to bless me. And that's it, you know. So as I'm reading scripture, maybe that one scripture, you know, it's also meditating. Part of meditation is waiting to hear and not just doing all the talking. And again, conversation with friends. Yeah. I mean, again, it's, uh, and by the way, it needs to be said that I don't do all those things because I'm on staff at a church. It's not because I'm a pastor that I do those things. I'm a pastor because I did do those things. (laughs) Right. So, uh, and again, it's just, it's just that continual being consistent. Uh, being consistent in the little things. Uh, so uh, I hope that answered your question. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Question number two. Question number two is if you could spend five minutes with your eighteen-year-old self, what would run? You know, honestly, uh, I've been asked this question before. Man, I would just listen to those people older than me. I would actually listen to my parents. I would listen to older men, you know, and just, man, just try not to figure this thing out on my own. Uh, Me left to myself is not a good picture. Uh, That's not a very good outcome. And... Because I think, you know, it's like Solomon, you know, when God, when God allowed Solomon to ask for anything, you know, I mean, Solomon just wanted wisdom and, and kind of and kind of along the same premise, you know, listening to older guys and having older men in, in your life that, uh, that speak into you, man, I think you gain so much wisdom that all the other areas of your life are affected by. And. That's that's what I tell my 18 year old self, you know. Yeah. You know, dude, you've got to listen to people and you know, to guys older than you that have been through stuff and learn from their mistakes and not have to make them you know, you're setting yourself. So not that I would have listened to that <laughs> yeah. when I was eighteen, but that's sure what I would tell myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Amen. 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 
Yeah, that's uh, like my favorite answer to that question ever was uh, a guy named Larry Clark. He just said, I <laughs> just knock him out. That's a great answer. I may steal that next time somebody asks me that. I may steal that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, he was he was an awesome guy. Um so last question then. Last question. It's it's uh we've already kind of answered it, but it's the central question and everything that we're doing here is uh what does it mean to be a man or what makes a man, Christian man? Another open ended question, right? Uh what makes a Christian what makes a Christian man is this accepting <laughs> your purpose and responsibilities that God's given you. Simple as that. And just accept, just accept it, realize it. Yeah. You know, uh, I think that if you know the authentic manhood guys, uh, they're the guys that uh, did uh, men's fraternity, and then they took men's fraternity and updated it to now it's called Thirty Three the series, uh, which we do here at the church every year, uh, and I also block for their block for them too. I mean, they have the greatest, one of the best definitions ever. Uh, and you may have heard this, may have not. Some of your listeners probably have, but it's reject passivity, accept responsibility, lead courageously, and invest eternally. That's what a man does. He does those four things. Yeah. And uh, I've just not found a better definition. Uh, so accepting that responsibility, man, at every season of life, it's so, so important. Uh, we can change the world if we'll do that. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate oh, no. it. Uh, thanks no, for your patience too when, when things didn't I work know. out last Techno- time. So. Technology is awesome <laughs> when it works. Awesome. It's a pain in the. It's a, Hey, yep. the button, yeah, and it's a woo, so, it does. Anytime. <laughs> really enjoyed it. Thank you, Charlie. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Have a good one. Oh, before we let you go, um, if somebody wants to contact you or um, or uh, get involved with what Two you're places, doing or learn more about um, you, where can they find coaching, you? And I have a, just a few openings right now uh, if somebody's interested in that. Uh, they can go to greatman.tv, uh, greatman.tv, and there's a there's a section on there on coaching on the front page there. They can click on that, and that'll take them where they can contact me there. Or uh, they can go to uh, jtmccraw.com, and that just is kind of a little page to tell you more about me and you can contact me there as well through email so either one of those two pay either one of those two websites uh will come to me all righty very cool thank you very much uh, appreciate blessings it. on your continued ministry and thanks for being on the show i appreciate it Thank you for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you like what you're hearing on our podcast, make sure you're sharing it with friends and family, men in your life who you think need to hear our message. 
You can find us on social media, on Facebook under the Gird Up Podcast, and there's a Gird Up community as well there where you can interact with other men on the journey toward Christian manhood. You can find us on Instagram as girdup underscore like underscore a underscore man. If you'd like to help us bring our message to more men just like you all around the world, you can hit up our Patreon account. Type in www.patreon.com forward slash girdup. And finally, please leave a five-star rating or review on whatever platform you use to listen to our podcast, whether it's iTunes or Spotify. What that does is it helps us get more attention in the podcast world and bring more men to our message. Thank you again for listening to our podcast. Thank you for all the ways you support us and help spread the word. Until next time, go gird up and be the man that God created you to be.